I want to share with you the exchange of emails, how we got to the title. Uh, the topic was supposed to be prayer, and the title I sent was a topic I wanted to, I've been studying about what we call tefillah b'tzibur, which we usually call public prayer, and the title was, uh, remember it was public prayer, or nas- public prayer or national prayer, something like that. But the point of this year was supposed to be, what I wanted to talk about, was what people usually call public prayer is really more national prayer. I don't want to explain it, that would be a whole share. But it's, really, it's really interesting, maybe another time. Uh, the email I got back was, was, can you pick a topic more about individual prayer? <laughs> right, something like that? <laughs> which ends up being very good. And I realized something, which is classic happens in Israel. In Israel, what happens is we focus so much on the nation, on national issues, sometimes we lose sight of the individual. It happens all the time. And the opposite is also true in, in exile. Because if we focus on the individual, we lose sight of the nation. So it's always nice to find a balance. And we're going to try to find a balance in today's share of how individual prayer relates on one hand to the nation. On the other hand, bottom line, it focuses on the individual. <coughs> so the title we picked instead is Tefillah as a Transformative Experience. Which I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> that I'll try to explain. Um, in general, when we dive in, the assumption is we're trying, we're being judged. We're standing in front of judgment in front of God, and decision is by God. And what am I trying to do? I'm trying to change God's decision, assuming uh, the polls aren't looking good. You know, assuming the data doesn't look like I'm going to get a good judgment. I want to transform that judgment to something on my behalf. How do I do that? There's a lot of methods. Sometimes I can tie a red string. I can do a chicken thing. You know, there's a lot of different ways to get God to change his mind. I can say some magic words. I can say the 13 midot. I can pray. I can chuckle. You follow? Um, those are classic ways. I, I'm bringing those examples, maybe exaggerating a little bit. But the assumption is I'm trying to get God to transform his decision. The transformation is not happening in me, but happening by God. What I want to show you is that might be the end result, but the main way that tefillah works, it's the transformative process is in the person. And when you understand what you say when you're davening, if you understand, if, if davening is meaningful, in the sense you understand what you're saying, that will cause the transformation of the person, and after the transformation of the person, that can actually cause the transformation by God. Now, the, um, there's, there's always a classic question that comes up about prayer. Who needs prayer? Do we need to pray or does God need, to, does God need our prayers? Or do we need someone to pray to? That's classic, which we're for a philosophy class. Um, I want to talk about um, a sort of application of that. I want to begin with the word kavana. In Hebrew? Kavana. <laughs> now, uh, how, how would you translate that into English? Intention, something like that. Now, what's it, give me examples of prayers that need kavana. We're all familiar. That's why there's no source sheet because everything we're discussing are all things that everyone knows by heart. You'll see. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> A couple of psukim will quote, but most things everyone knows by heart. Give me examples of things in Kavana. The first line of Shema. The first line of Shema. Wait, anything else? The first? The beginning of Shema Nesrei. Um, which one? Saying, we'll get to that Pasek later on. 
But, but what Stu's talking about is that we say Ashway three times a day. The reason why we picked that psalm is because in that psalm, there's a sentence that says, what, what does God do? God opens up his hand and feeds all, all needy things, all living things. All living things get all the food they need when God opens his hand. If you say that with the right kavana, what happens? It's called an easy path. There's an easy path to Olam Haba. There's two ways you can tell Olam Haba. Being a good, just person the whole regular way. And there's another easy pass method. Say these magic words three times a day. And the Gemara says you get right in. So, that'll be an example of what we're going to see between Kavana and Havana. I'll explain that. that might not what, you might not be familiar with what that word means in Hebrew. Havana is, is, is Havana. Or Havana is understanding. Kavana is against his intention. And Havana is understanding. Um, any other classic things that we have to say with real Kavana? And, and we'll get things that can undo decrees. Like what's the most powerful thing you have to say with Kavana? Which part of Kaddish? Remember Yehishmei Rabbah? You have Yehishmei Rabbah, you have Shema, you have Shemunesri parts of Shemunesri, Putech, Yedidecha. Those are the classic ones. So, so now, we have to, what's it, what does Kavana mean? So I want to hear some examples of what, what the, the short ones, short when you say kavana, give me a range of things that that could be referring to. At, at, at the minimum level, what's, what's minimum kavana? Yeah? yeah? Being aware that you're saying something. Being aware that you're saying, being aware that you're you. Or, or being aware, or being aware who you're talking to. That's already two different things. What do you want to say? You were going to say? No? Same thing. What's she saying? Knowing, knowing that you're fighting of God. Is kavana mean I understand what the words mean? No. What? It would be nice, but I could fulfill kavana and not understand what I'm saying. It sounds so strange, but it happens all the time. I'll give you an example. It's sure we're not doing it. I just did it um, in Colombia. The, um, I did a share on... The member of the Mizmor we do before... Um, everyone says that with Kavana, correct? And they say it seven times. Look and show. Everyone says it with Kavana. I've given this a couple of times. I ask the people, who can tell me what that psalm is about? Total silence. I'm sure maybe two or three people here would know. But, correct? We say with tremendous Kavana, we, have, we know the word Truah is in there and the word Shofar. So, sounds good. But what's it really about? It's a, it's a tremendous psalm. It's the Shir Shoyom of, of uh, according to Mesechet Sofrim, it's the, it's the psalm that was sung in the temple for the day. The theme there, the structure, it's a, it's, it's a beauty. But we never study that. So, does Kavana mean understanding? Or just, does Kavana mean the intention in front of God so he'll answer, so I'll get something out of it? Okay. To fulfill the mitzvah? Now, I'm, I, I, have a chiv, I have an obligation to say Shema, so I have to have in mind that I'm fulfilling my obligation. So why am I doing it? But, but, so if I don't understand what I'm saying, if, if, if I don't understand what the words mean, and, yeah, yeah, 
wrote, so, th- so what do you gain by saying it? Other than I fulfilled an obligation. No, it's like a language that you don't understand. So it works, yeah. That's what, that's what, a, that's what an engineer would tell you about davening. First, it works. <laughs> now, let's, now let's explain it. That, what does it mean to serve God? That's a big question. The God, the, that, then you're assuming that God needs someone to pray to him. And he's in need, just like he, in ancient times he was in need of animal, animals. Nowadays he's only in need of words. God's sort of progressing. He used to be really hungry. And now he turned veggie. And he needs words. He's eating our words. It could be. I'm, I'm exaggerating on purpose. Okay, so let me, let, me, let me give an example of what, how I understand Kavanah. Um, in the sense of transformative. And then we'll give some more examples. Let's take Shema, for example. I want, again, I want Psukim that everyone knows. Um, Shema, those words are easy. If Shema, if Kavanah means I have to understand what the words mean, we have a big problem. Because the word Shema I can translate as obey, hear, listen. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. What's Hashem Echad mean? Oneness, unique, manu, is it? There's lots of, there's, Tons of different explanations what that could mean. What's the Shemalakina referring to? What's the connection between the two phrases? So if, if I'm obligated to know what every word means, so if I was a brisk, I'd have to go through 20 different... It would take about a half hour to say Shema because I have to go every, every opinion of what some commentator thought what each of the words mean. I'd have to cover my basis to make sure I understand what it means. And for sure we don't know that. So I, I want to give a quick discussion of what Shema is because Shema is fitting for, I think that's in the title also, from Shema to Ne'ilah. That was it? So I want to begin with Shema because it's an example how Shema can be a transformative experience. When we say Shema, um, how many people have heard that when we say Shema, it's a statement of faith, a statement of monotheism? And what do we need to do as good Jews? Every Jew once a day has to say Shema because he has to affirm his belief in the one God. I think it's even some sitters that say, at this point, we have to have intention to accept our belief to, to, to believe in one God. Someone mumbled something in Hebrew just now, thinking that it was supporting what I was saying. Yeah. She said, Kabbalat Omachut Shemaim. I'll translate. Accepting the yoke of heaven. The rabbis call saying Shema not a statement of monotheism, but rather accepting the yoke of heaven. A yoke is something an ox puts over his neck so that the owner, the farmer, can plow his field. And the ox gives power to the, to the farmer and enables him. The, the ox works for the farmer. If someone puts on the yoke of heaven, that means he's making a statement that he's working for a boss. He's the ox and God's his farmer. And he's, plowing, he's helping God plow the field. There's a big difference between saying, I believe in God, as opposed to saying, I believe that I'm working for God. Do you understand the difference? It's a difference of day and night. One is a statement of faith, the other is a statement of action. And when Chazal understand when we say Shema, what I, I, the, uh, for kids I call it, it's not a statement of faith, it's a pledge of allegiance. They still say that? Yeah, question.
You're, you're saying faith. Put it this way: when you say Shema, you're assuming that there's one God. The assumption is there's one God. But is, what's the main point you're making? I agree with you that one leads to the other. The question is, what point are you making when you say Shema? Wait. Saying there's a God is not the same as saying there's a sovereign. A sovereign means a ruler. And, and you can say there's a sovereign. I believe that there's a king or a president. There's, there's difference the, that I believe this is a president and difference if I'm working in the White House, if I'm working in the Oval Office. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's being, the fact that you believe in God doesn't mean you're Jewish. I mean, does that occur and the fact that you're Jewish doesn't mean you believe in God. Perhaps that's not a person. But there's lots of people, you can believe in God and not be Jewish, believe in God and not serve Him. You can believe in Him and be a good, just person. There's a big difference. I'll, I'll give you an example from Achiot, because it's exact, very similar. We had a share on this a couple of years ago. When we say Malchiot, are we making a statement that God is king? Is that the main point in our prayers? Are we making a statement, we're proclaiming God king? Or are we saying it's our duty to make him king? You understand the difference between the two? The second is transformative. No. Yeah. How do we begin Malchiot and Davening? This is a share, I guess most of you weren't there. You know how we begin Malchiot and Davening? Yeah, the, I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick review because it's part of the same topic. I'll explain it using tic-tac-toe to explain Rosh Hashanah davening. To a lot of us, Rosh Hashanah Musaf is flipping pages. And where are they? It's confusing. Agreed? If you understand tic-tac-toe, it's real easy to understand how it works. There's three sections. There's what's called Machiot, Kingdom, Zichronot, and Shofrot. Each section has an opening poem what does I say in English? Okay, uh, opening poem, follow, which leads into ten verses, three from Chumash, three from Tehilim, three from Navi, followed by one last Pasuk from Chumash, and a closing, what's called a Khatima, a closing blessing with a beautiful um, poem leading into it. We'll talk about all those. We finish those three sections, we blow Shofar, Hayyam Haratolam, next section, opening, you follow? That's why I call it tic-tac-toe. And it, makes, it flows perfectly. Now, if I want to understand what's Machiot about, the best place to look is in your master, Because we explain it right up front. What's the opening line of Machiot, which was written 2,000 years ago? Remember, everyone's always, at a young age, you're always surprised in the middle of Rosh Hashanah davening. What's the Lainu doing here? Everyone went through that experience, didn't you? When you were young, but what's going on? There's no Kiddush coming up. There's not the end. It's not the worst. It's, over. it's usually Elenu with a... No... It's the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and all of a sudden, in middle of Shmon Esrei, and then they repeat it again. Are you supposed to bow down or not? You don't know? But what's it doing there? The truth is, Elena was written 2,000 years ago, at least, but that, as part of Rosh Hashanah davening, only about 800 years ago, they began the custom of saying it every, after every tefillah. It belongs in Rosh Hashanah davening, and we steal it every day, because it's a beautiful prayer. Now, in Elena, what are we asking for? What are we asking? We're not asking. We're beginning Malchiot and we're making the main point. What are we saying? It's our obligation to make God king. How do we make him king? By praising him. Why is it our obligation? Because that's why he chose us. Because he didn't make us like the other nations who don't understand who the one God is. We were privy to that understanding at Harsinai. 
We understand the right God because God entered this relationship with us. And it's our job now to, make, to let the rest of the world know, know about that. That's how we begin Malchiyot. And then we say, what's our hope? That it will work. Because what will happen if it will work? If it will work, all mankind will recognize God and not become Jewish, but be good. It, my understanding is, is that in, in Jewish monotheism has nothing to do with philosophy. You don't have to be Aristotle to believe in God. Believing in God, the way it seems, at least from Elenu, is not something intellectual, it's something behavioral. That if you believe in God, you'll be a good person. To the fact that if, you don't, if you're not a good person, that means you don't believe in God. In other words, it can't be that you believe in God and you're a, and you're a wicked person. But the, the best example of that, Rav Cook has a famous line um, that he told Brenner way back in the 20s. Everyone's heard of Rav Cook? So the equivalent of Rav Cook for the Chilonim, for the seculars, was this guy Brenner. In a meeting one time, Rav Cook said, the God that you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. <laughs> Which is so deep. Yeah. Rav Mital gave a, a sort of similar thing. He said that um, every secular Jew has a God that he doesn't believe in. That's a classic Rav Mital line. So what's he saying? And he says it's the religious Jews' fault for secular Jews. Because the reason they don't believe in God is because the God that they think is the God they're talking about can't be a real God based on the way they, based on the way they act. Now, it's our, the, in, Elenu, in the second part of Elenu, we're saying we're hoping that we'll get rid of all idol worship. All mankind will accept this yoke of heaven, will, will recognize you, and there won't be reshaim anymore. There won't be, there won't be wickedness because they recognize that you exist. So, at least by that definition, understanding that there's only one God and there's authority and there's a reason for creation will cause people that good. Doesn't mean they'll be perfect, but at least they'll try to be perfect. So again, that's something, it's something. Now, let's go back to the transformative experience of Elenu. If Elenu is right, it's our job to praise God, and you believe that, and you said that, then when you leave Shul, how are you going to behave? If it's your duty, not, not, not a statement, I believe God's king. But it's your duty to make him king. And when I say Shema, I'm not saying that's why the last Pasuk of Machiot, remember that, remember there's Tempsukim? Each one has Melech and Machiot. The last Pasuk from Chomesh, we're short one more. There's lots of Sukim that have the word Melech in it. What do we pick for the last Pasuk of Machiot? Shema Yisrael, without the word Melech in it. Because it implies, because what's it about? Accepting the yoke of heaven. Now you were right, that interpretation of Shema is based on an analysis of Sefer Tvarim. If you know Sefer Tvarim and where Shema is, it's exactly Kabbalah Tomach with Shemaim. Because it's, it's parallel to the first commandment in the whole speech. That's all, again, a complete... needs a full share, but easy to prove. Now, when you're saying... when you're making this Pledge of Allegiance, not saying that I believe that God exists, but I'm, I, I believe, I'm stating that I'm working for Him. He's my boss, and I represent Him. And if I'm saying, not only that God is King, but it's my job to make Him King, and you believe what you're saying, what will happen when you leave Shul? The way you behave, you'll be a different person. Because it can't be that you really believe that you as a Jew represent God as an individual and as a member of a nation, and you'll be, and you'll be a schlump, and you'll, and you'll be obnoxious and haughty and, and, and unethical. If you really believe what you're saying, you yourself will transform. Now, if you're, pretend, pretend you're God, put yourself in God's position, and this person's praying to you, and before he prays to you, give me a good judgment. Okay? 
he proves his sincerity that he really wants to work for me. And I have a choice of either punishing him for what he's done wrong or forgiving him. What logic would there be for punishing him? He deserves it. Why would I let him get away with it anyhow? Because he recognized what he did wrong. He's proven to me he knows what he did wrong. And he'll try his best to do better next time. So I can, it's, worth, it's worth, when I evaluate him, it's worth to rehire him. Because he'll do a good job. Because the purpose of punishment is going to be only to rehabilitate. If he's rehabilitated already. So I want to follow that. When you understand what you're saying, the transformation takes place in the person. But because the person's transformed, there's a reason for God to change his decision. That, that, that's, that's, the main play, that, that's the main point of this year. I want to prove it from a lot, a lot of different places. But that's why I wanted to get across. And, and it's part of our davening in Rosh Hashanah. But if we understand, what, that's between Kavana and Havana. I hope I made that point clear. Kavana is, is intending to fulfill my obligation. But if you have Havana, if you have understanding, for example, if you say Yehei Shmei Rabbah with all your, with full Kavana, what's called, Chazal tell us you can undo any, any decree. No matter how bad a decree is, it can be undone. It's not magic. Because what does Yehei Shmei Rabbah mean? It's the same theme of Machiot. What do you... You're st- Kaddish, that was the last year we did, I think, wasn't it? I don't know if anyone was here there. Kaddish, we said, was a prayer for God. It's not a prayer for us. It's a prayer on behalf of God that, well, we're not praying what we need. Mr. Chatsi Kaddish. We're praying, we're praying on behalf of God that everyone will recognize Him. That His name, His reputation will become great and everyone will recognize Him and... Redemption will slowly actually happen. Well, we talk about it in Alenu. At the end, we, we pray that, since we prayed for you, maybe help us out with a little peace. Remember, the, the last, anything after Chatzik Kaddish is a prayer for us. But the first part of Kaddish is a prayer on behalf of God. Now, if you really believe that you want God's name to be known, and you realize that you represent Him, and you're working for that, then why would God punish you? And that's why Chazal say things like, that's why they can make statements like, saying, not with kavana. Kavana doesn't mean I have intention that God's going to forgive me. It's not that I'm saying it with the intention. Kavana doesn't mean I want this to work. I want to be forgiven. Kavana means I understand what I'm saying. It's havana. I understand what I'm saying. And if I'm really sincere and mean it, there's no reason why God wouldn't, wouldn't listen. Because he has nothing to gain by punishing you. Unless he holds by Yonah. I'll, I'll take a break for a minute to explain. This is thanks to Elisa. There's something I thought of this year about Yonah. It's nothing that new, but um, this idea about punishment, I'll, I'll use an analogy of Republicans and Democrats. I hope I don't get myself in trouble. Um, Yonah, every, everyone knows the story of Yonah. Right? The question, why is he running away from God? It's always, I don't want to get myself messed up in the whole arguments, but what, what everyone agrees in on, he's running away from God, but he believes in God. But God tells him to go get an invade to repent. Yonah is against repentance. Because what's his last name? Amitai, which means truth. And in a road of truth, if you sin, you're punished. Correct? Now, if his last name is not by chance, neither is his first name. Where's Yonah come from? Who's the first Yonah in the Bible? Where? By Noah. Any other similarities between Noah and Yonah? 40 days, uh, oh, there's water there, isn't there? No shortage of water. 
And God says, but who else believed? But God told Noah, destroy them all. Perfect. So when it, it, it fits right into Noah. Now, as soon as the flood is over, what does God say? He makes a covenant. And what's that covenant about? No more reset button. Meaning, no matter how bad you are, no matter how bad mankind is, I won't destroy all of them. Maybe some of them. There's a place like still, but I won't, I won't hit the reset button again. As a package deal with mankind, God has a deal with all creation that creation will continue. He'll punish selectively, but not a total reset. Most Rabbeinu is faced with the exact same option, isn't he? Remember, remember the, the, the Mabo story is really it's a, it's a foil to understand what happens at Harsinai. Remember, you realize that Harsinai and the flood is the same thing. 40 days and 40 nights in the Tevan and Matzachim Bene Hashem. It goes on and on. But what's changing is, what's the difference, what's the difference between Noah and Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe prays. And now, the same thing that God promises after the flood, after Noah, that I will never re- recreate mankind. I might punish selectively, but, not, but the overall covenant with mankind, God's not going to recreate another universe again. It's the same thing in the same pattern that happens with Amisro. What does God tell? I'll never divorce you as a nation. What we call the Catholic marriage. You're always my people. We might be we might be brogues. I might send you into exile. That's week's parsha. We might be have, we might be really at odds with each, with each other. And we, we might be fine, but you'll always be my people, and ultimately you'll return. Now, when it'll happen, we don't know. Now, now look look how that affects. Oh, go back to Yonah. What's Yonah saying? Yonah's saying the whole concept that man can sin and God can forgive ruins the system. I'll give an example from a Republican. Someone committed murder. 20 years in jail, whatever he gets, life sentence. 10 years later, he's rehabbed, he's a wonderful guy, he went back to school, understand, total remorse, and if I let him out of jail, he could be the most productive man in society. Let, let's say that's the mitziot. What would the Democrats say? Let him out after two years already, let him out. Right? Why waste tax money keeping him in jail? He can help society. And who's to blame? And why did he kill? Because he had a bad education. It's, you follow? It's, it's, but it's not his fault. Okay. What would the Republicans say? Let him rot. Why? It's not that they're wrong, but why are they saying that? Because if he gets away with murder, and everyone, it could be he'll help society, but if I let... If I, let, if I don't use Midat Adin, people will take advantage of it. So there's logic to, what, to, what Yona, to Yona's approach. Don't allow for tshuva. And the individual might suffer, but society is going to gain. That's what's called Midat Adin. And it makes sense. But I'm not saying which side is right. But there's logic to that approach. There's teachers who say 8.30 class starts, door closes, no one else goes in. Because if I let someone in two minutes late... Class will never start on time. People will take it easy. If, I, if everyone knows, 8.30, class starts, no ifs, ands, or buts, everyone will be there on time and class will be serious. We have these arguments all the time in teachers' meetings. Who's right? Every parent has a problem, being strict or being nice. You always have to find a balance. But once there's a possibility, once we, we don't pass in like, like Noah or like Yonah, remember, what's the transition from the post-flood? What begins new creation? It's the Yonah. That's, that's the sign that we're starting over again. And then we get to the Brit. In the new Brit, God's saying that 
words, if man can sin, but it won't destroy mankind, then there's a possibility for tshuva. Once I know, and even more so in Amisar when we get to 13 Midot Rachamim, once I know there's a possibility of mercy, not, not definite to be mercy, but there's a possibility of mercy, the whole relationship with God is a new ballgame. If I know I did something wrong, if I go in front of God and I have my printout, all the good things I've done, all the bad things I've done, like the Rambam and Chuchuva in the beginning. Remember? Put it into computer. With a good computer program, I'll know exactly what my, what my, what my decree is going to be. If I was good or bad, am I going to pass or not? So why daven? The second I know that everything, God takes everything into consideration, but, but there's an avenue of tshuva, there's an avenue of, of mercy. And even though I might deserve this punishment, there's a possibility that God will give me another chance that changes the whole relationship. Now, once you understand that, that's transformative, yeah. Wait, wait. It, it, let, let's say, put it this way. When, Noach, when God makes his, his um, breath with all mankind, that's not predicated on the fact that all mankind serves God. That's all mankind recognizing there is a God and he needs to be good. And there's still room for, man to, for all mankind. There's, re, being religious doesn't mean you're Jewish. There's religion, and there's, if I wonder, I'm not sure if it's the right definition, but wait, referring to what you're saying, I'll call religion a human being's attempt to connect to the divine, to connect to God. That, that's universal. Every human being has a Selim Elohim. How do we know that? It says so. <laughs> every human being, not only Jews, everyone has a Selim Elohim, which means everyone has a connection to God. How well you develop that, everyone has a potential. Now, in addition to our Selim Elohim, we also have a covenant with God to represent Him. Because we're working for God, we have, we have an insider's advantage. So it's easier for Amisur to become Ruchani, to become religious, because we're, 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 working, we're working in the White House. We're working on his behalf. But that, that, that option is open to everyone. But we, have, we thank God for getting that sort of head start in being able to develop a relationship with God. The best example, this, will, this is a topic I was going to get to later, but I can, I can, as long as you have your Tanakhim, we'll take a little break and do, a, I think, one of the most beautiful topics about relationship with God that has to do with prayer. What's the first conversation between God and man in Chumash? Ayaka. Everyone knows that one. And who starts the conversation? Remember the dialogue. God starts the conversation. That's why I said a dialogue. A dialogue. A dialogue. God giving commands, that's, you know, that, that's from Bayomer Elohim or that's from the first the beginning, God's talking. But a conversation where God says something and man responds back and forth, there aren't too many in Chumash. But the very first one is Ayaka. Who initiates the conversation? God. And what's his first question? It's a Jewish conversation. Because <laughs> <laughs> how does it begin? With a question. And what's God's question? Doesn't God know everything? Rashi comes up with a question. Right? God's omniscient. He doesn't know where he is. So it's a beautiful explanation. I think it's right on the mark for, for Tshuva. Where, what does the word ayeh mean? In, in Hebrew. Where? In modern day Hebrew, how do you say where is something? 
If I'm looking for my keys, what do I say? If Yosef is looking for his brothers, he, they were supposed to be in Shechem. What does he say? What's he ask that, that you know, Elilah Navi there? What's he ask him? You can take a look if you have your Chumash. Who remembers? Someone better remember. No Bakore? I have to look it up. Somebody. Chapter 37. No, it's okay. A What passage was it? You found it? Perak Lamed Zion. Um, 3716. 3716 in Breshit. Yosef says, Where are they? It means is a word in Hebrew, in Chumash, for where is somebody? Now, second day Rosh Hashanah, we're going to read the Akedah. Yitzchak's walking on his way to the Akedah. His dad gives him some wood to carry, and he hops, there's a, we're going to make a sacrifice, not the first time, and he realizes something's missing. What's he ask? Ayeh HaSelo Ola. Which means, we're, so what's the difference between Eifel and Ayeh? The difference is simple. When I want to know where something is, I need my keys. I don't know where they are. Right? I want to know where something That's Eifel. When I want to know why something isn't here, I don't need to know where it is. I, why isn't it here? That's Ayeh. And it's, it's a real simple difference. You can check them all out. We don't understand that's a whole shear, but check it out. Ayeh is why isn't something here? Something belongs here. The student's missing. I don't know, I don't know where, what room they're in. I want to know how come they're not in class. Ayeh means why isn't something here? Eifel is where is it? God knows exactly where man is. What's his question? Why aren't you here? Where should man be? In Gan Eden. What did he do? What, what's Adam's answer? I'm hiding. He ran away from God, just like good old Yonah. He ran away from God. It means he's not in Gan Eden. Now, that's exactly the price of sin. Because when someone sins, and this takes us right to tefillah and, and the whole topic we're talking about. When someone sins, there's two possible results. Two poss- there's two, that poss- two, two results from sin. The classic is you've sinned, and therefore you should be punished. So when someone sins and know they deserve to be punished, what are they worried about? About punishment. And therefore, why do they pray to God? What's the essence of prayer about? Don't punish me. What do I need to say? I'm, what am I worried about? I'm worried about being punished. That's my biggest fear. I did something, I'm going to get punished. If I, wouldn't be, I, couldn't, I couldn't care about, if I wasn't getting punished, I wouldn't bother with God. But the biggest fear, I'm going to be punished. And therefore, you turn to God in prayer. Don't punish me. I learned my mistake, etc. There's another result of sin, which has nothing to do with punishment, which has everything to do with religion. When man sins, which is the consequence of a sin, he can't look at God. Just like if between friends, do something rotten to your best friend. What happens? You're embarrassed to look at them. You run away from them. You can't look at them in the face. You know you've done something terrible. But the biggest price of sin is losing your connection to God. Understand the difference between the two? Now, if someone is interested in that relationship with God, that's something to your question. If the, if the goal in life is a relationship with God, what we call religion, then the biggest price of sin is losing that relationship. And what's the consequence of man's sin? He's kicked out of Gan Eden. And what guards the way back? Remember? The Kruvim, and that later becomes the, the Torah. The, you know, the Kruvim later come on the Aron. That's a whole theme through Chumash. Uh, uh, the, the, a great example is the song everyone knows. David and Melech sinned. Everyone knows the story? In Tidim Nun Aleph, he talks about it. You can take a look inside if you want. 
Do you know this? You know the song by heart. You didn't realize you knew it by heart. Tons of davening comes from here. Kilim Nunalav is after David sin with Bathsheba. Okay. What's David? Is David worried about being punished? He'll take any punishment God gives him. In fact, he'd probably rather he'll, he'll take any punishment. What's he worried about? Right. Don't ruin the relationship. Now, how's that song begin? That's the second part of the song. How's the song begin? It's a kumzit song. Leif Tahor. Someone say it for me, please. Just for the fun. What are the words? You have to sing it. Leif Tahor. Barali. Elohim. Okay. Most kids sing it. Leif Tahor. Barali. Elohim. Which is a statement. Which means, what did God do for me? God created me with a pure heart. That's not what it says. It says, Leif Tahor. Barali Elohim. What's the tikvolet? The parallel. Barach Nachon. Chadesh Bikibri. It's a prayer. It says, read, what happened to his heart? David once had a pure heart, he lost it. He sinned. What's he asking God to do for him? Restore the pure heart. Recreate it for me. It's a prayer, it's not a statement. Something that happened. It's a request. It's like the, without getting told that diktuk. David's asking, recreate for me a new heart, a pure heart. I had one, I lost it. Means, what's David Melech worried about? His sin caused him to lose his relationship with God. The main thing he wants back is his connection to God. Any punishment doesn't bother him. That's the whole theme in the parak. The parak Nunalaf, Psalm 51, it's a beauty. It, it comes in... Um, no, that's something that... that well, again, what's, what's... Right to the point of what prayer is about. When you pray to God, what in essence is your prayer about? Is your, do you see God as some monster? You believe that God exists and He has all the powers... But what's your relationship about? How he might punish me or how he might reward me. I'm not interested in the, in the relationship itself. I'm interested in what it means to me. It means, it means, am I going to get punished? If I, would, if, God, if I wasn't getting punished or rewarded, couldn't care less. A higher level of relationship with God is the main goal is the relationship. Compare it, if you want to compare it to marriage. It's the same, same type of idea. What's the goal? What's in it for me or what's in it for the relationship? So you have the same idea in tefillah. When you're davening to God, what are you davening for? Is, is your main davening about you know, it's a fear? I might get punished or help me out. Or is my main prayer about my relationship with God? Now, what, we have in, what we have sort of the advantage on is because we're working for God, how do you build a relationship? By involvement, day-to-day involvement. As servants of God, we have, sort of have a head start. It's easier for us to become religious. And we thank God for that. That's part of Birchat Torah. No, let's go back. So let me summarize what we have so far. I'm trying to show you that in different in the, uh, when you have Havana, when you understand what the themes of prayer are about, and, what, and understanding not just the words, but the, the, the biblical themes that they stem from, and the concept of covenant between God and the people, and, and the purpose of our being chosen to make a name for God, to, to, to help make Him king, to what's called, what say, Dalenu? And we do that by how we act and how we talk. And we need to do both, and they work in, in conjunction with each other. If someone really believes what they're saying and understands that, then he is transformed, and that gives God a good reason to change his decision. Assuming that God is allowed to change decisions, assuming that Midat HaRachamim exists, even the lowest level of the post, post-flood, assuming that God's not a, not a Republican. If I, did I get the Republicans, Democrats right? Pretty much? To... to uh, Okay. 
<laughs> so in that sense, when, when you understand what you say in prayer, then prayer becomes a transformative experience. And it changes the person, and the goal of prayer is for the person praying, and it'll have an effect on God, but only if it has an effect on the person. It's totally different than these magic incantations. Say these magic words, and I can do all this Kabbalah stuff. Um, I'll bring another... We did Machiot. What do we say at the end? Remember Machiot, the introduction is Aleinu, and the Alkeinah Kabbalah, which is everything we just talked about. We quote all the Psukim, the last Pasuk of Machiot, Shema Yisrael. How do we finish it? Everyone knows the Chazanas. Remember that one? Without thing. One line you all remember by heart. Every living thing should know that you made them. With. Every living soul. The breeze. Where's that word coming from? Where in Chumash is that from? Creation of man. That's why I didn't make a source sheet because everyone knows. I hope everyone remembers that from Davening. Hashem Elokei Yisrael Melech, meaning, what's that mean? Hashem, the God of Israel, is the king over all mankind. How is mankind, every living thing, non-Jews, are going to say that the God that the Jewish people are talking about, He's the right God. He's the only God. That doesn't mean everyone becomes Jewish, but everyone becomes this, what we call ethical monotheist. How he worships God, that's up to God and that nation. But to believe in one God and that there's a purpose in creation and he has expectations for man as far as his behavior goes, everyone will recognize that if what? And our chosenness is to facilitate that happening. And that's why, and how are we going to get that done? What's the next word in tefillah? By our keeping the mitzvot, we're designated to represent God by keeping the mitzvot. That's the way we do it, by keeping his mitzvot. And we talk about him. Three times, every time we gather, we talk about him. And we say, Yehishmeh, and we say, we say all these things to remind ourselves. And then, Finish it for me. Love the Chabemet. Help us help you. We're asking God, help us. Remember from David, V'tahar Libenu? Leif Tahor, Brali. V'tahar Libenu, it's the same. Who got it from who? V'tahar Libenu, Love the Chabemet. Our goal is to serve you, but it takes hard work. Then we mentioned the God is Emet, even though we, it's, it's a cute way. Even though you're a God of Emet, still you, you're able to forgive. And then we say, Baruchat Hashem, Melech Kolaretz, and that's how we finish Monesre. So if, if you believe what you're saying, if you believe what you say and understand it with Havana, how can you go out and be obnoxious and be, and be rotten and, and, and scheming, etc.? It just wouldn't happen. If, we, if you're not sincere what you're saying, and if you think it's just something magic, when you leave Shul, there was, the decision's made already and whatever happened, happened. Remember the feeling after Rosh Hashanah, you know, or after Yom Kippur? I can coast now for 11 months. Whatever was decided was decided. That's not the goal of Rosh Hashanah, Daphne. That's not the goal. That's knowing, Nechem Levitz used to say, it's more important how you act between Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah than how you act between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That's a classic. A question.
there, there's, you, can, you can argue in Hashkafa, in interpretation, what's the best way to serve God? No, no, you, can assume, you can agree that we have a goal of serving God representing Him. You can argue, what's the best way to do it? You can say, I don't understand how the world works, I just know I'm a robot, and, there's, and I follow Shulchan Arach. And whatever says Shulchan Arach I do, I don't start thinking, this is good, that's good. I'm, I'm, just like the first thing you do in basic training. You have a soldier who's working for you, the first thing you teach him is don't think, do. Follow orders. If I say right is left, left is right, you do it. Yeah. No, no, it's, I'm not just saying, or, the goal isn't just all the goyim. The, the goal is the, the, the what? Oh yeah, so, so what do Chazal say? The mitzvot are like the skeleton. The skeleton and the organs isn't the person, it keeps him standing on his feet. Without the skeleton, without the evarim, without the ramachador of Sagidav. You're not a person. But the sum total, that's what, that's what the mitzvot are. But that's, that, keeps you, that keeps you on your feet. But that's not you. You're more than that. You're, you have an neshama inside of that. Again, within hashkafa, how much to accept what and how much... You always have to find a balance between... If you didn't have the ritual, you wouldn't, we wouldn't be here 4,000 years later. 5,000, I lost track already. We wouldn't be here so long. We wouldn't be talking about tikkun olam if we, didn't have, if we weren't keeping Shabbos and keeping all halachot. And if, if we just keep halachot and didn't help mankind, it would almost be pointless. So you, have to, you always have to balance the two together. The problem is teaching the balance. But that's... Uh, yeah. Our behavior. Yeah. And how God treats us. And that, that, but that'll work. That's a long-term goal. Again, but that's, that's let God run things. I, I can under, I'm not saying I agree. I can understand a, uh, an approach that says... I understand this big picture, but I don't get involved. That's God's problem. I'm a good soldier. I just follow orders, and I don't start thinking, because that'll ruin. Any general will tell you, if, if every little private starts making his own you know, tactical decisions, you'll never win a battle that way. So the question, how you view yourself as a private, as a thing, and you can say, I, you know, the generals or even officers, like the building, they make decisions. I'm a nobody. I, I can't, who am I to go make these big decisions? I just follow the rules. And therefore, bottom line, I follow Shulchan Aruch. And a good general or a good um, administrator in a factory would rather have a worker that follows orders than, a, than what's called in Hebrew Rosh Gadol, with a Rosh Katan. I don't know what that is. Because things get ruined that way. But it's a legitimate argument. I'm not saying who's right and wrong, but at least you can appreciate both sides that way. Okay, so I'll give you an example. I was going to... You let me write what I wanted. Um, take a look at Devarim Perak Yud. Perak Yud, Perak Yud, Pasuk Yud Bet. We call it the mission statement of Chumash. Because I had to get to... Remember we did another incantation with Poteach Et Yadecha? And, um, and emulating God? Look in, look in um, Devarim Perak Yud, Pasuk Yud Bet. It leads right into Vayim Shemua. It's the beginning of a parshia. Yisrael, this is like, you see why this is the executive summary of Chumash. After this long speech, Moses going on and on and on, takes a little break and says, listen, after all of this, bottom line, what's God want from you? Real simple. Everyone see it? What's God want from you? To do what? To fear Him, to, do, to love Him, to follow His ways, to emulate Him, the whole thing. To, to walk in His ways, etc. And then he explains why I picked you, I picked you out of love. We explain what's not. God needed someone to love, therefore he picked us. He picked us because he needed someone to work for him. Why did he pick us over anybody else? 
Out of love. There's a big, you understand the difference between the two? There's one saying God needs someone to love and he picked us to love. And the goal is simply love. God wants someone to love, he picked us, we left out. There's another approach. What Chumash is saying is God shows us to work for him. But why did he pick us over anybody else to work for him? Why did he pick us to work for him? Remember they all picked somebody else? The old mind? Why did he pick us to work for him over anybody else? What, what do we have going for us? Those are midrashim. Chumash says, out of love. It was a love decision. Now, usually love decisions are based on good character. But bottom line, it's a love decision. How do we begin every yom of davening? You chose us from all the nations. Out of love you chose us. But for what? You wanted us. You elevated us. You made it special that through keeping mitzvot. Finish it. Why did you bring us close to you? Why did you choose us? Choose us to work for you, not just if you need someone to love. You chose us to work for you, and what's the overall goal of all this? Your reputation is riding on how we act. Your name is associated with us. It explains everything. The best proof, the most authoritative commentary on the Bible is the Siddur. I'm not saying it's the best. I'm not saying it's the most exact comment, but it's the most authoritative. Because everyone is, it's accepted. If something, if a theme is in the sitter, and it uses the exact same words, by the way, everything in Atta Bakartana was in, in these Sukim. Now, I'll show you where Shmoneser begins. Look in Pasuk Yudzayim. We describe God. How does it begin? Ki Hashem what is he? Hakel Hagadol, Hagibor, Banora, Asher Lo Shochad. God's the most powerful thing, but he doesn't, doesn't play favors. He does, he's a just, he's a judgment is good. What else does he do? What? He does justice for the orphan and the widow. God does all these things. So if that's the case, if I go help an orphan or a widow or a poor person or nice to a stranger, that shows a lack of faith in God. Why? Because what's the Pasuk say? God does it. So if I'm doing it, I'm, I don't believe in God. <laughs> Look at the next Pasuk. What do you have to do? That's the source of emulating God. In His Midot HaRachamim, in, in His attributes of mercy. Meaning, and that's the idea of Tzedem Elohim. If you understand that you're a partner with God, and if there's imperfection in the world, that's why God created you to fix it. And that's what it means to be a blessing. To be a giver and not a taker. If, if that's why you're chosen, that's what this executive summary is saying. And therefore, if, if, if God tells you, if we, if we say that God takes care of the needy, and then says, we have to take care of the needy, when we take care of the needy, we're working on behalf of God. We're his partner in creation. Now, if that's your life, of course you're connected to God. And, you're, and then you're religious, and then you have, a, you have a connection to God. It's not a monster God. It's your, it's your best buddy, best buddy. It's your it's your boss who you identify with. Yeah. There was always a need, but the story of Egypt it emphasizes you know, God wants a nation that that's going to be one of their flags. That sensitivity. That's the whole seder. The whole the whole myth of remembering the Exodus is not expression of gratitude. It's, it's it's recognition of destiny. Because remembering the Exodus includes remembering the need to be sensitive to the needs of others. That's the, we make a big, we make a whole seder about it. We drink to it. Okay. Now, 
Um, one other example from Devarim, then we have to finish. Look, look in chapter 15, as long as you're in chapter 12. In chapter 15, I want to show you another incantation. When Chazal says something on the mark, you have to, the problem is when Chazal says things, they assume you know Chumash. Yeah, the rest. And, but when you just know the, the, the statement and don't see where it's coming from, you miss its beauty. Chapter 15, in Pasuk Zion, in Pasuk 7, I think, it talks about the law of, of every seven years, we know all debts. Famous law, every seven years, we know all debts. Great econ- economic system, keeps the poor from getting too poor and the rich from getting too rich. Uh, then it says what? That happens if you get poor, someone's poor, and needs a loan, and it's year six, and what's the bank know? If I lend the money, I'll never see it. It's a bad loan. It's, for sure it's going to be a bad loan. What are you going to do? You're not going to lend money. What's the Torah tell you to do? What word does it use? What do you need to do? Even though it's a bad loan, you're commanded to open up your hand and help the poor person. And because of this, God will bless you. Got it? And look at the summary pasuk at the end. What's it say? We want to summarize this whole set of laws. What's it say? There will always be poor people. Don't blame it on them. That's the way the world is. There's always poor people. And there's always servitude. It's how we treat them. It's how, it's, it's how we, we're, we're judged by how we, how we treat them. What's the bottom line of it? What's the summary pasuk at the end? What's it say? Again. Twice. We're emphasizing in the same book about emulating God and being a nation representing God. That's the whole big theme in Tvarim. It's a book that uh, explains the details of the covenant. We're told we have to open up our hands and help the needy. Along comes Tilala David, who knew his Chumash. And what's he, how does he describe God? What does God do? How does God do that? That's why he made us. But we say the same thing in the Hallelujahs. What do we say in the Hallelujahs? Then, um, what about Nadivim? We say about Nadivim. Um, something about Nadivim? What? Yeah, don't turn to Atif Tchubin Nadivim, Shendam Chua, etc. And then we say, we praise who? Isha Sher, Sibra Hashem. Then we describe God. What does God do? Tidim Kufven Vav. He made the Shemaim Ba'aretz. What else does God do? Right from there. We're describing what God does. Why are we describing God in those ways? Because that's what we need to do. And that's, again, that's another example if you understand what you're saying. In, you're not just praising God. You're understanding what you need to do. And in that sense, again, prayer is a transformative experience. Yeah, we can go on and on. I'll just bring one last way. We're, we're over time already. But that's... I'm, I'm, but I'm trying to show you over and over again. When Chazam makes these statements, saying these, these incantations with, with the right kavana, it's not an easy pass. It's a difficult... It, it's super hard. When you understand what they're getting at, it's not a magic formula that'll get you right to... What did Chazam say? If you say, with kavana, muftach lo means not if you say it with kavana to get schar. If you understand what it means and understand what, what's behind it and understand that you represent God and it's your job to perfect what appears to be an imperfect creation and that's how you develop your connection to God, of course you'll be a Ben Olam Haba. Because you're, 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 you've developed your Tzalem Elohim. And that's your goal. It's a, again, not by saying it technically, but by internalizing it. 
In that sense, again, oh, that's why most of tefillah, if it's work, if it's understood, it becomes a. It transforms the person. If indeed it's transformed the person, he's sincere, then it only makes sense that God will transform his decision. As long as we're living in a world where there's a world of, of brachamim. Again, Republicans won't like it, and there's a price we pay for that, because people slack off between, between Yom Kippur and, and Rosh Hashanah, what we talked about. But, but knowing that it's possible, that opens up a door which makes life so dynamic and religion so, so interesting. That's why, we, that's why tefillah is so important. Yeah. For sure. That's, remember, Pirke, what's Pirkei Avot say? If your goal is doing it to be, I'm not, there's a machoket. I'm not sure the pras. It's even higher virtue. I don't even want the reward. I do it because it's the right thing to do. Or shalom not the pras. But but that idea. But when we say shema, we have two parshiot to follow. One is ba'afta tashem which is virtue, because it's the right thing to do. The second parsha is for normal people. If you follow them, I'll reward you. If not, you'll be punished. How do you bring up children to do good and bad? You do, because practically speaking, you, have to, you need to, what, Michael Vigether, what's that, Michael Vigether in English? It's in English also? The carrot and the stick. Ideally, do it because it's right, practically speaking, and we educate in both realms. But you can't, if you, that, that's on the practical level, but at the, at the deeper level, so that's how, that's how, that's how, that, uh, that's how Judaism helps, gives a head start to religion. But, but, but the, uh, the religious idea is for all mankind. The fact that we're working for God, it's our duty and obligation to praise Him, etc. That's why in Zichronot, who do we talk about in Zichronot? What's Zichronot? Well, end with Zichronot, because I remember not to forget that one. What's the topic of Zichronot? In English, what's Zichronot? Who's remembering? We want God to remember us. And the first thing we say is, God doesn't forget anything. Right? Remember, the first thing we say in Zichronot in the opening line is, there's no such thing as forgetting. So if there's no possibility of God forgetting, what does it mean to remember us? What? <laughs> Do we explain what Sefer Zichronot was? Not. We did that? Sefer Zichronot. Where do we know Sefer Zichronot from? From the Megillah. Who's, who can't sleep at night? Why can't he sleep? Because he thinks someone's out to get him. It's good reason to think so. Something, something fishy is going on. Who's loyal to him? Sefer Zichronot, he goes to the Attorney General. Sefer Zichronot is the book of all the psakdin, of all the treason cases. All the treason cases. It's a court book of all the cases who was found guilty and who was found not guilty of treason. Why is he reading that book at night? Because he wants to know something's going on. Who should he worry about? And what story does he pumble across? Big time the Teresh. And now he finds I can trust Mordechai. It fits nicely. If, look, look at Zichronot. Read it inside later. You'll see. When God is Zohar, means he's judging. And when he judges, he takes everything into consideration. And if it was up to Yonah or Noah, you wouldn't have to pray. You'd have to be good beforehand. By the time it comes to Rosh Hashanah, that's it. Whatever the printer output comes out, that's what you get. Post the Mabel, post Yonah, and, and post with Midat Rachamim, we're in a world that even though God knows everything, and even though you might deserve one thing, if you can convince God that you're sincere, and if you learn, in fact, because I'll say even more, if I've done something wrong, and I realize what I did wrong, and, and my doing something wrong and recognizing that will make me a better person, what does I'll say? 
the centers into Zechuyot. Remember in Hilchot Tshuva? Doing something bad can be helpful. You can't do it lechatchila, but once it happened, that's a different type of relationship. But knowing there's a possibility of rachamim, and knowing that that door is open, God, God remembers everything. We have to remember that God remembers. That's the We have to remember that God remembers. At the end, we throw in. By the way, remember the remember remember how faithful our forefathers were to you. We start asking for protection, which we should, but not in a magical way, because when we talk about Avram Avinu, we have to emulate his misru nefesh. And emulate his, his relationship. And if we emulate them and, and strive to be like them, then there's a good reason that God will answer our prayers. So that's, um, hope I got the main point across. But that's the idea of a prayer on, if you add Havana, Havana for sure is important. But there's much more than Havana. Havana goes with Havana with understanding. If you understand the themes behind them and what you're saying, and how beautifully it connects to the essence of what our religion's about, then hopefully our prayers are not just a bunch of, you know, strange incantations and Harry Potter kind of things, but, it's, but they really mean something. They transform the person. And if they indeed transform the person, they have the ability to transform God's decision. And Mir Tashem, it'll work for us this year and everyone should have a Shana Tovah.